Hello and welcome to In The World Podcast. This is episode two of season 2017. I am Joe Griffiths. To my left I have... Uh, Russell Dealey. And to my right I have... Rosie Dealey. Yes, and what are we studying tonight, Rosie? We are studying the question um, of whether uh, war is justified by God. It's a big question, a very isn't big it? Question. Yeah, it's again, it's another one of those those questions that sounds very obvious at, at face value. A lot of people would think, of course not. But the good news is that digging a bit deeper, there is loads of stuff in the Bible about war. So we've been able to draw on a lot of information. Last week, if you haven't listened, we covered um, does the church is the church homophobic? Is what we covered last week. And whilst that's probably a much more topical question actually the 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 resource that we have to go from in the bible uh isn't as great as this subject so there's a lot of stuff to be looking at so rosie what's where we going with this um so like last week we've got um um, a kind of opening statement and i'm just going to start with that so first of all god has called people to war um we're going to have a look in the bible about that in a moment but also war is inevitable because we live in a fallen world and that's quite important and again we'll be going through that in a minute and then lastly murder is different to killing Mm. yeah i think that last part is quite a big distinction to make because again a lot of people will take a, a stance that you know to kill someone is a sin to murder someone is a sin but they are different things, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll explore that. So, Joe, the, the first statement there we've got then is uh, that God has called people to war. Yes. So there are loads of incidences, particularly in the Old Testament, of war. Um, and there are three types of war that the Bible lists. So there are wars of conquest. If we want to have a look at Joshua 1, verse 6, we should see that. So... It's a race to Joshua. Joshua 1, oh, verse 6. I've gone past it. It's just after Deuteronomy. I've got it. I've got it. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Right. So that conquest is the Israelites to the promised land, uh, I believe. Yes. Yeah, sure. So that's, yeah. a, that's a war of conquest in regards to conquering the promised land. Um, there are civil wars mentioned. So... Next race is to 2 Samuel 3, verse 1. The winner on this occasion wins a car. Um, <laughs> 3, verse 1? 2 Samuel 3, verse 1. The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Well done. Okie dokie. So we see again another, that's a war between factions. Um, and then we also see a heavenly war. Um, and this... You can get a jump on me now. There is a heavenly war, and it comes from Revelations oh. 12, verse 7. So oh, I can't get that far back in the Bible because it's got a massive binding on it. Um, uh, Revelations this is 12, for a boat. verse 7. <laughs> yeah. Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. Cool. So... That's the revelation is um, end times. So that's looking at um, the war where fundamentally good conquers evil, mm-hmm. um, akin to Star Wars. Um, 
So particularly with the Heavenly War, we see that Michael. This is one of this is a, this is a tangential point, but we see that Michael, um, Saint Michael, got nothing to do with Marks and Spencer. No, um, <laughs> he um, is the one that crushes the serpent. He kills the devil in the end times, and I just think that's really cool because often people think that. Uh, there is Christ and then there is the Antichrist, as in the devil. But actually, the devil is nowhere near as powerful. Isn't like the opposing powerfulness of Jesus. No. Um, it doesn't. Jesus doesn't have to kill the devil because Michael is strong enough to kill the devil. So no. I just think that's a cool yeah. side point. That is just, cool. just I didn't know that. Briefly with that, Michael, am I right in thinking he's one of the archangels? Yeah. And therefore, he's sort of a, a, a higher ranked angel. So I think so, yes. yeah. Yeah. So he's probably has uh he sits at the, the, the chair at the end of the office, looks over the other angels whilst yes. they're just doing general admin. Yes, yes. That sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um so right, let's have a look at some other incidences of war. I I I will probably just mention these in passing because I don't think we need to get too bogged down uh in every incidence of war in the Bible. Um but going back to Joshua, um where God called the Israelites to occupy the promised land. So looking at some other places in the Bible where it mentions war, we don't need to go into all of them with Bible verses, but we see that in Joshua 5, verse 14, um, Joshua is referred to as commander of the army of the Lord. Right. right okay. okay yeah. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 3, uh, King Saul is told by God to attack the Amalekites. In Joshua 8, verses 1 and 2, we hear of God's battle plans for Ai. In 2 Samuel 5, 23 to 25, King David defeated the Philistines by following God's strategy. And then we see probably one of the more famous uh, incidences, and this is something that we, we, we are going to touch on a bit later. David kills Goliath in war. Mm. Mm. So in brief... Um, if anyone's seen the movie Troy, they'll sort of understand what happens, that there are two opposing armies and they send their best fighter to effectively, rather than everyone dying, yeah, um, they send one person out yeah. from each army. They're like, you can die on behalf of all of us, which always seems like a bit of a short straw. Um, kind of makes sense, though. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, yeah it's kind of utilitarian in it. In its, mm. So, um, a bit cruel to the person that has to go and do it, but I guess it's a, yeah a pride thing to some degree though. Like I reckon a lot of people would have been proud to. Be I volunteer. Person. Yeah. <laughs> well, Goliath was was on on one side, a big guy. Uh, their their sort of war leader had had won many of these battles in the past, and then on the other side was David, who was short in stature. I think the Bible does describe him as like a handsome guy, though. Um, but like a charming guy, sort of thing, or yeah, just yeah. But as we all know, looks get you nowhere in a fight. <laughs> nah. um, but anyway, as as a lot of us know, David uses his slingshot, hits Goliath on the temple with that like one in a million shot. He's guided yeah. by God. Critical hit. Yeah, yeah. And um, and David wins, kills Goliath, and, mm-hmm. and wins the battle for his his army. Hooray! Hooray. So, um, so yeah, that's another example of, of sort of war in the Bible. So in that, we see that in all of those cases, we see that God has effectively justified war. Do we still think 
that God does that today? And do we think that all wars, past and present, have been justified by God? Mm, I would say no. Um, I think as in these examples from the Bible, we can see that God has had his input and he wouldn't have his input if he... Well, I mean, if it was justified by God, you know, he he's had his input. He, he's done he's done what he needed to do. Um, in today's wars, there may be cases where people have have perhaps prayed, have have seek guidance from God, and then, you know, performed well in battle, or maybe you know taken upon themselves certain tactics which have avoided civilian casualties, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so God has perhaps guided people. In, in war these days um, whether or not God justifies that war it's tricky because I can't help but feel that maybe God is protecting someone who's crying out for help yeah but that doesn't necessarily mean he justifies the war they're in I don't I don't think that God tells the people who are leading the war exactly what to do because a lot of those people wouldn't ask God what to do you know the leaders of our world that you know we don't know this but we can assume um that they would not necessarily pray to god about whether they should go to war or not and i don't think that god would tell them unless they asked Mm -hmm. um he might do but i think that god doesn't necessarily tell the leaders of the countries and whatnot and of the armies exactly what they could do but i think that God still works within wars on an individual basis, like you said. Yeah, and here's a follow-up question. Do you think that using examples of wars in the Bible um, and how God acted in those wars is a justification for the argument that war is justifiable? Does that that question make sense? Yeah, I think think it does. And I think it is. Because we're living in the same fallen world as those people were then. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So, yeah, we'll touch on the fallen world in a minute. but And we'll go there in like literally two seconds. But what I wanted to say, in my opinion, and, and I'm drawing this from the Bible, um, is that bringing up this evidence is justification for for, war, for godly war. Um For this very reason, God won't ask us and cannot ask us to sin because God is perfect. Mm. And yet God called men to war. Yeah. Therefore, war and the inevitable and the inevitable results of it are justifiable. It goes to it goes. It stands to reason that God cannot call us to sin Mm. and he called men to war. Therefore... Yeah. War cannot be sinful if it's called by God. If it's called by God, yeah. 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 And I think that's where a lot of people will question is, is was it called by God? You know, and, and it's hard, I guess, as a as an entire group of people in an army to know whether, like, there'll only be certain, certain members of that army that were perhaps, that knew about God. You know, so it's, I guess it's always difficult on a, flat basis to say this was justified by god but whether the the individuals who prayed to god to them it was justified and maybe that's enough mm-hmm. i don't know so then what we said was what you just said rosie was that 
that war um, is inevitable because we live in a fallen world and we're living in the same fallen world as the people in the Bible So what do you mean by we're living in a fallen world? So, um, in the beginning... In the beginning, beginning, that's a great place to start. In the beginning, um, there was Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden, and they lived with God, and then something happened called original sin Mm -hmm. Um, sounds serious doesn't it it does sound serious and it's probably a story that a lot of people will know whether or not they're a christian or not but Mm -hmm. um to summarize eve ate fruit from um a tree that was forbidden was forbidden yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. it's the forbidden fruit she was tempted by satan and she ate fruit from the tree so adam and eve um were then banished from the garden and they were separated from God and that's what we mean by fallen world a world that's separated from God spot on yeah I think so it's all in Genesis 3 is where that is and it's even titled the fall so in that we as Rosie's perfectly said we see a separation from from God and his people and let me just quote the punishments so man and woman get different punishments The man is cursed. Uh, It says, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. Oh, no, this is... (laughs) Sorry, this is the snake, the the devil's sins. Uh, The man is not cursed to crawl on his belly. (laughs) Um, Right. Uh, The woman is... uh, Eve is said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour, you will... Give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And then to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I command you, you must not, that I commanded you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you through pain, full toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return. So it's a it's a cleavage point in in history in that it's the point where we are separated from God. We go from being eternal beings mm. um, to you're on your own. Not you're on your own. God is always with us, but you're out there. And it's being th- sort of theorised yeah. by, by theologians much more wise than us that from that point onwards, sin has almost exponentially grown. Yeah. So if you imagine from that cleavage point out to 2017, sin has just got worse and worse and worse. Yes, it's only going to get harder, never easier. And if we think about before the original sin, we were in a union with God and we were at peace and it was there was no sin. Um, therefore, there was no war because there was no animosity between anyone. We've effectively gone from that to a place where... There are grievances between people. There is conflict. And war, as a result of that, is is actually inevitable. And the Bible says that war is inevitable. Um, if we can race to Ecclesiastes 3, verse 8, oh one God. of us stands to win a jet. <laughs> um, where am I going to go for the next Bible verse, by the way? Ecclesiastes 8. Yeah. Verse what? Uh, eight. Chapter eight, verse eight. Actually, can you read the whole uh, of Ecclesiastes three, verses one to eight? There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. 
A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. There we go. There we a go. time for war and a yeah. time for peace. Mm. And even in the in the midst there, there was a time to, to kill. kill yeah. yeah, was mentioned as well. So Solomon is quite quick, quite clearly saying there that war is inevitable in its time, in its place. So. I think we've sort of created a case for the fact that war is biblically inevitable and is justifiable by the fact that God, in many instances, called the war Mm. and in all cases called the shots of the war. But that might all seem a little bit distant to us. It all seems a bit Old Testament. Um, Yeah, yeah. So what does Jesus have to say? Yeah, what is Jesus's response? I think that's a really important question for us to to answer. Because God certainly doesn't reveal his, or doesn't feel like God reveals his battle plans to us like he did to King David, Saul, or to Joshua. No. Um, But we do still live in a fallen world, and as we said, war is inevitable. So what does Jesus say about it? It's a race to Luke, uh, Luke, let's go to, actually, no, let's go to... Matthew 8, verse 10 first. And this is for a small island. A small <laughs> These are getting exponentially bigger. So Matthew 8, verse 10. Yeah. When Jesus had entered Capernaum? Capernaum. Capernaum. Yeah. A centurion came to him. Asking, a centurion. Right, so just bear that in mind. Yeah, a centurion. So that's a soldier. Yeah. A centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralysed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Perfect. So we are talking about the faith of a centurion. Okay, so a centurion has come into Jesus's presence and Jesus, above anything, has complimented him on his faith. faith. Mm. So now let's also look at, um, so that was Matthew 8, verse 10. Let's Mm. look at Acts 10. So that's still in the New Testament. This is now for Russell. Don't worry. Although um, Rosie <laughs> I still read get the more, island. you still get the island. Excellent. So um, I've got little tabs that take me to my right. Acts ten. Yeah. So let me just. So it's Cornelius calls for Peter. Okay. So the bit that I'm looking for in particular um, is actually verse one. If you can read from verse one. <laughs> To verse, uh, to verse 8, please, Russell. Cool. So this is Acts 10, verse 1 to 8. 
In Caesarea? Caesarea. Caesarea. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a pizza. Glad you're here, <laughs> <laughs> the Caesarea. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named... Oh, Pope. a Roman army, army officer. Mine just says a man, but Ma- then it does say a centurion. Right. And in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Yeah. So it's an Italian pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like um, all good pizzas. <laughs> just on that note, in the footnotes to the on the previous on the Matthew verse, um, my Bible pointed out that a centurion is essentially a Roman army officer. So they're one and the same thing. Yeah. You know, a centurion is an officer. How many men did a centurion one hundred? No. This well, is, that's what this said. My it, uh, well, QI tells me that it's only, it was only about 80. Oh, okay. It's a bit like a centipede in the middle. Yeah. Wait, what's this? So a centurion is in charge of that many people? Yeah. 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 Okay, anyway. I'll start again. <laughs> Caesarea? No, Caesarea. Caesarea. <laughs> Caesarea. Caesarea. In Caesarea, there lived an, a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? he asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. Okay, so there's no, um, there's no spe- nothing specific here. But again... It's uh, a soldier coming into the presence of the Lord via an angel. Um, and again, there's absolutely no judgment on what the soldier does. Mm-hmm. Um, so then finally, uh, do we need to go to this? Because I'm running out of islands to offer. <laughs> um, actually, yeah, we do. Um, so I'm go- Oh, no, I'm going to have to give up the bigger island, aren't I? Mm-hmm. Um It's... Uh, oh, no, I'm already there. Luke 3. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Luke 3. Um, right, so in Luke 3, I'm not going to uh, read it necessarily, but this is probably the clearest example we see of um, soldiers, sort of what we might call men of war, um, coming into um, the presence of, in this case it's not Jesus, it's John the Baptist who's um, at the River Jordan baptising people. Um, so the soldiers come down to the River Jordan and ask John the Baptist, uh, what should we do? And they're, they're talking very generically, what what you know, what do you want for for yeah. us and our lives? And John the Baptist doesn't say, stop being soldiers. Mm. John the Baptist says, um, stop being involved in extortion, like extorting people and other things that we would associate with being sinful or yeah. immoral. So we've got three examples there, all within uh, the, the time, the sort of the life and time of Jesus, of soldiers being associated with, with uh, the Lord Jesus and there is no judgment of what they're doing so does that creating a greater case for the argument that war and the sort of the contractors of war i.e. the soldiers are not seen as as sort of against God Mm, yeah I think yeah definitely and 
I think yes, so there's plenty of evidence there that that God doesn't have an issue with he what doesn't these judge. people do. He doesn't, yeah. judge, he doesn't judge soldiers for their profession. Yeah. Yeah, which, you know, which says a lot on the side that that what they do is, must be justified in the eyes of God. And again, I think that, that sort of ties into the point before about the individual. So the individual is a devout Christian, you know, the individual prays to God and serves God, and therefore God won't judge them. Mm-hmm. You know, he won't. He won't. Um, but he, he will judge them for what they... he. He's more concerned about what they're up to in their day-to-day lives. So. Yes, yeah, definitely. So it's not to say that a soldier is freed from sin. Because they're a soldier. Because they're a soldier. <laughs> it's it's that they they will be held accountable to the same sin as anyone else, regardless of whether they're a soldier or not. Mm. Uh, the fact they're a soldier isn't something that they'll be judged for. Spot on, I think. Mm. Um, right. If we can go to Ephesians 6, can you read Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 17, please, Rosie? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Cool. So mm. I, I think love that. it's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's this very sort of visceral image of us putting on protection, protection, mm. military protection, yeah. a shield, the breastplate, a sword, um, Belt. and the helmet mm. um, as our defense and our attack against evil. evil. Um, mm. So quite clearly, um, that's, Paul that, uh, that's Paul that's writing at this point, writing to the Church of Ephesus. Quite clearly, Paul is talking in, in the war tone, yeah. something that is very, very important for the Christian faith. So would he juxtapose, not juxtapose, would he compare Christian faith with a war image if war was fundamentally against God's will. Mm, I didn't think he would. Yeah, he wouldn't. You know, and it sort of ties into the revelation um, that we talked about before in that, you know, there will be a battle. There will be good versus evil. Um, you know, the, the devil will take the form of a dragon and be slain. Mm. And I think, you know, th- this ties into that nicely in that, you know, Paul's saying, you know, there will be a battle and you know, we have to be prepared for that. And to be prepared for that, you know, we have our Physically our and spiritually. Hmm. Obviously, this is referring more spiritually. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, just the fact it's referred to as, it's not just, uh, you know, trusting God and you will be protected. Yeah. It's, you know, it very specifically mentions, you know, swords and 
and shields and breastplates <laughs> and helmets and it, you know it's very as Joe sort of mentioned it's very military-esque isn't it it's, mm. it's unmistakably military but it is it's not literal no no but the fact that it's referred to the fact that it's referred to in sort of military terms, terms yeah. um, sort of it adds that connection doesn't if God it? was fully against this then he wouldn't use exactly um, well I've got here so so I think we've got, I'll read this and then I think we've got one more part of this that we haven't directly uh, addressed. Uh, addressed. Yeah, thank you, Russell. Um, which is that killing and murder are two fundamentally different things. Mm-hmm. And I really want to address that because um, it was actually raised in one of the youth groups that on Thursday night, one of the lads came up and said, talking about war and talking about whether killing in war was justifiable. So I think it's really important that we directly address that. But bringing it into a modern context. And so we've seen that war is definitely sort of, in many respects, uh, justified by God in the Old Testament. Jesus never, Jesus and Paul never seem to uh, criticise soldiers for being soldiers in the New Testament. And then to bring it into an even more modern context, this is, the, this is a story around Operation Goose Green, which was during the Falklands War. So let me read this to you. They were surrounding Goose Green, 500 to 600 metres away on the far side of a ridge. Uh, Keeble, who's a uh, an army officer, knew Argentines could bring in reinforcements under cover of darkness and mount a counterattack. He also had reports that they were holding 112 civilians captive in the community centre. A sustained bombardment was out of the question. He said, we were in a perilous position and the responsibility for getting us out lay with me. That's Keeble. I had no idea what to do. I walked up a gully to be alone for a moment and try and think. I put my hands into my pockets and my fingernails caught on a piece of plastic. It was a prayer which I had typed out and had laminated as a a kind of deal with God. You know, I'll carry this prayer if you look after me stuff. Keeble knelt in the gorse and said the prayer written by the desert mystic Charles de Foucault. My father, I abandon myself to you. Do with me as you will. Whatever you may do with me, I thank you. Provided your will is fulfilled in me, I ask for nothing more. Keeble found it in the midst of a battle, a terrifying, almost impossible prayer to say. But to his amazement, he went through a real transformation. He says, instead of feeling frightened, uncertain, cold, miserable and confused, I suddenly felt felt joyful, happy and warm. Above all, he had an immense clarity about what he needed to do. And this is incredible. He returned to his men and told them at first light he would walk down across the battlefield and, quote, invite the Argentine commanders to surrender. And as the story plays out, he went out that morning, walked across the battlefield, and he describes it like going on a, on a Sunday summer's walk. Uh, little did he know he was walking through a minefield, right. a right. literal minefield. Yeah. He went up to the Argentines. He found out they had way more men than they realised. Um, and he told the Argentine military leaders that, to surrender or, or, or fear the consequences. And they surrendered. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Which is so miraculous. It's absolutely <laughs> miraculous. So for us to say that God... Uh, isn't active in in wars anymore is is gumph. It's mm-hmm. just not true. God is involved in everything on every level, um, and He still cares as much about us as He did about 
um, the the people of the Old Testament and the people that we read about in the New Testament. Hmm. So I think we've answered nearly every question other than one. And that is, how do we differentiate between murder and killing? Killing, yeah. Because a lot of people would argue that they're exactly the same thing. Um, yeah. Which... I guess there is a case for, you know, it's to, to end someone else's life what could be murder and you've killed them, you know, they're, they're very similar. But I think in terms of this question and biblically, they, you know, they can be differentiated. Yeah, I think we need to look at it in terms of this question. We need to look at it as is there a difference between murder and killing in war? Yes. Is that a better way to phrase it? So... Sorry, the, the Bible is very clear on murder, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so there's Exodus. Uh, it's ex, in Exodus. Exodus twenty. That's where God tells us that murder is a sin, and it kind of that's one of those sins where you kind of feel like, did, did we need telling? Yeah. Um, yeah. But God tells us, so there is no grey area. Murder is a sin, and then we also see played out in the story of Cain and Abel mm. that murder mm. is clearly a sin because. Cain kills Abel, and then... Cain's the, line is cursed forever. That's it, yeah. Yeah. And I believe Abel's line is the line that then flows through to King David and then through into Jesus. Hmm. So that is the line that we would recognise as the Jewish race now. So murder is very, very clearly a sin. And I'm not... I, I would hate to think that we're glorifying murder in any way at all. And I'd hate to think, really, that we're glorifying war. It's an inevitability. It's not to be. It's not to be sort of sought. It's not to be taken, cherished. Yeah, it's not to be taken lightly. Yeah. Um, but it is inevitable. It is inevitable. Yeah. So that's. So we've we've shown that murder is very clearly a sin, and yet we still have sort of killing in war hanging out there. And I'm I'm very clear in this, and I think this is something that we all have different takes on. I know there are many many good Christians in all of our armed forces. Mm. And some of them are in roles which involve sort of active fighting. Mm-hmm. Some aren't. Some are working as padres. And I think this is this is a this is probably somewhere where you, you have to draw your personal line. I think that by the fact that God um, has legitimized wars in the Old Testament, Jesus knew what the centurions did for a living, but never called them out on it. Mm. I think killing in war is quite clearly different to just to murder. Mm. It's a protection of um, oneself, potentially, and it's also the protection of one's society. It's yeah. a bit like who it's like the butcher. Someone has to kill the meat that we eat. And I know that sounds really, really cold and really harsh. It, the way that I see it... It's a reality. It's a reality. It's a reality. And I think someone has to do it. Mm. Um, potentially, yeah, yeah and and just sort of bringing it back to the Bible, I've got a verse here, um, two Kings nineteen verse thirty five. Um, so it, it's sort of a bit of context for this. It's um, this is this is the Lord talking about the king of Assyria, and I think in this case the Assyrian armies were attempting to enter Jerusalem, essentially, and were were Jerusalem was under siege. So to speak, and um, and and God basically says He's not going to let that happen. He's going to defend the city and protect it. And so the verse is that night the angel the angel of the Lord 
went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. So that's, you know, again, there, the, it's, he didn't murder 185,000 soldiers. He killed 185,000 soldiers. That's a lot, you know, and obviously we don't know how to, to the number. That's not specifically, we don't know, you know, exactly how many he killed. But it says here 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were killed by an angel of the Lord. Yeah. So that that in itself sort of is an example of the Lord sending someone to kill 185,000 soldiers for the for the sake of Jerusalem and for the sake of defending the city. Mm. Um, That's yeah. difficult. It's difficult to sort of think about mm. that. So I think, I hope that we've taken you through our sort of thought process here mm. to go back to our original statement. God has called people to war and war is inevitable because we live in a fallen world. Murder is different to killing. It has to be. God mm. calls murder sin and calls people to kill in war. In war. Mm. So they, they can't, they, they have, have to, to be, be different. different. Yeah. Um, yeah. And God's and Jesus's response to war is shown through how Jesus and John the Baptist and Paul sort of relate and respond to soldiers and to um, people of war, men of war. And in every case, Jesus, John the Baptist and Paul never judged the soldiers, the centurions, the um, Italian regiment, whatever your verse yeah. said. <laughs> um, never judged them for what they were doing. It judged them on their sins mm. and... And that's it in a nutshell, I think. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah, and what I would say is just a final caveat is that we, without prayer and without very, very thoughtful uh, reflection, so for us to use God as a justification for war would be warmongering um, Mm. unless it was done prayerfully. And we must pray for the leaders of our countries and the leaders Mm. of other countries that they don't, um, one, go into wars without consulting God and to go into the, into wars claiming that they've consulted God and using him as a as a justification for war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. bad. That is really bad. That is bad. Right. Hopefully that has answered your question. Joe's got his hands in the air. Like right like now. this is this is it. This is us done. <laughs> I've given away enough real estate. <laughs> I've I can't I can't. Oh, I didn't count up what I got. You did I got a jet? Or did you get the jet? No, I think you got most of it. If you want to talk to us about any of these things, then Russell can be found uh, on Twitter, uh, be at Russell Dooley. Rosie can be found also on Twitter at Rosie Dooley, but Rosie with a Y. Yeah. Um, you can find me. I'll I'll go down to the Corn Market Hall every Friday between about twelve and two. If you want to come and have a chat, then I'll be there. I don't have Twitter. Um, we do have an email address, um, and that'll be in the, the our Twitter handles and the email address will be in the description, so you can look there for them. Yeah, perfect. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.